My guest today is a purveyor of truth and a seeker of justice with forearms as big as the California Redwoods. The podcaster studio is honored to welcome Mr. Bob Ruff. Bob, what is going on, my brother? How are you feeling? Man, I'm feeling great, especially after that wonderful introduction. I, I, I'm sure it took you a little time to write it, but, you know, I appreciate all the hard work you put into it. Yeah, well, it, yeah, each line was handcrafted with sweat and experience. Uh, I've been hugged by you, and um, you have mm-hmm. uh, you have very large forearms. So I want to be truthful when I introduce people always. Yeah, yeah that's right. I'm a big hugger. Big yeah. hugger. <laughs> Bob, um, thank you for joining me on Inside the Podcaster Studio, uh, my little uh, project that I've been doing. It's just kind of, you know, introduce people to some of their favorite podcasters journey and how they got from the start to where they are today. Um, and I'm just uh, really glad that you could uh, give me some time today. Ben, I'm, I'm glad to see you. I haven't seen you in a, in, in a, a little bit. It's, it's been, been like a minute. A it's been a yeah. minute. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Um, you know, looking forward to the next time we can cross paths. Always fun. Um, last time I saw you, the mustache thing that I'm doing now was a new thing to yeah. you. It threw you off a bit, but I've been I've been sitting in it for some time. I've been sitting in it for some time, and I hope that it's not throwing you off too much. This is Alvin. This is the guy that you saw. So yeah, I'm settling into it a little bit. It was the sweater with the the mustache. It was the uh, you had like a black Burt Reynolds thing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, I was. I was yeah. trying to. I was trying to think last year. I was trying to think last year. I was my flower mm-hmm. power era. Um, you know, um, right. so you know, I'm still in that. Um, okay, you're but, still there with it. Got it. I, I'm glad we got an opportunity to talk because I, I recall that uh, the last time we hung out. Now that I'm remembering, you gave me uh, some terrible advice that uh, ruined several of my days. Please um, elaborate. I give well, terrible we, advice all the time. We were we were at the bar in the Paris. Yes, in, in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it was uh, two in the morning. Yes, and and I had a flight that I had to catch at like seven in the morning. Sure. Yes, and, I'm remembering this. Yep, it all coming back to you. And then I and and I said. I better call it a night so I can get some sleep. Uh huh. And and then you said, "What did I say, Bob?" You said, "No, Bob, mm-hmm. you don't want to do that." At this point, you probably should just push through and just stay up all night. Still makes sense to me to this day when you're telling me right now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I was like, my friend Alvin would never would never lead me astray. So Not intentionally, I, Bob. Not intentionally. Yeah. I I stayed up. I stayed up hanging out in that bar until uh, until five in the morning mm-hmm. and. Um, and I and was, you passed out on the plane, went right to sleep, and everything was fine. Yeah, nothing like that happened. Nothing great like that happened. It was, uh, there was phys- physical pain, um, mm. emotional pain. I'm I'm uh, I'm not a young whippersnapper like you, Alvin. I'm a, sure. I'm a, I'm a 44 year old man. Okay, and uh, well, I felt I, as Bob. It's not I was, listen. You have a great beard on your face. You look young. I didn't right. calculate that into my my suggestion. You know, I felt like well, yeah, this guy looks I, spry. I, it's 2 a.m. Full head of hair, yeah. You know, you don't think that this guy's old, but uh, no wrinkles. I'm, I'm a beautiful man. Yeah, and we can all agree on that. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So then, I uh, said two a.m. I was like, you're already up. You're a soldier. Yeah. You're a rider. Do another three. What's another three hours? Won't kill you. And I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it didn't kill me to be fair, but it was, it was close. It was, a, it was a rough plane ride. I uh, had an eight-hour layover. I ended up with an eight-hour layover. Ooh. In, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. In, in, yeah. In Charlotte, and that was, you know, that's where it really settled in. Mm-hmm. The pain. Yep, yeah, nice and not a nice amount of time in an airport in an uncomfortable chair to like a Chili's mm-hmm. too. Yeah, no, that'll yeah. that'll that's yep. when it'll hit you. That's when it'll hit that you. That was it. Well, yep. hey, listen, Bob, I want to say sorry. You know, you can't <laughs> win them all. You know, you can't win them all. And yeah. you know, listen, if somebody asks me for my advice, I'm gonna give it to them, even if I don't yeah. even know what you're talking about. I'm gonna yeah. give my advice because I like to talk. So mm-hmm. you know, you asked me what I thought, and I was like, hey man, it's two. What's the difference between two and five? Like you're See, there already. I think yeah, I think that's the difference in our recollection of it. I don't recall um, asking your opinion that night. Mm, uh, I, think I forced you, it on you. You volunteered it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a tendency to I do that too. There's a there's a racial element there where I mm-hmm. felt like if I didn't if I didn't take your I would have called you racist then, on the spot for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I you left me no choice. Yeah. Well, I mean that's kind of my mo. I mean, <laughs> I like I like to give advice. I also like for people to take it too. I'm not just talking right. Of course. To talk. Why yeah. why waste your time giving it if no one's going to take it? Yeah. So Bob, stay up till six a.m. Or are you racist? Right, right. And Do those you want to be options. canceled? Yeah, I mean, I mm-hmm. might have even threatened to cancel you. It was late in the night, I, you know, and I apologize. Yeah. Again, we can move L- on. Looking back it. on it, it was the right move. For sure. Hey, listen, Bob, did you die? <laughs> We're right here die. on the Zoom. Sure. You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. lessons learned. Fine. Don't listen to yeah. people with mustaches that are dressed like Burt Reynolds. Right. <laughs> so everybody learned a lesson there, you know? So it's yeah. all good. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Bob, just to get things started, I like to um, start stories where they begin. And so I would like to ask you, uh, where were you born? Uh, I was born not two miles from where I sit right now in uh, the small town of Niles, Michigan. 
I don't know how specific, but it was also a hospital. I was in a hospital. Where I, I would. Know. Well, you know, that's you know, that's not always the case. You know, some people mm-hmm. do home births. Some people, you know, get on all fours in a barn. You know, I think that's sure. how Jesus was made. Um, yep. So, you know, it's good. To, thanks for reiterating a hospital mm-hmm. birth. Um, and what part, if any, would you say that growing up in that town play in making you who you are today? That's a good question. Um, there's a certain Midwestern vibe, I mm-hmm. think, that, you know, the it, and, and believe me, I know, you know it's, it's not the same everywhere, but in the little town I grew up, so I'm actually sitting in Buchanan, Michigan, which is an even smaller town on oh, the wow. outskirts of Niles, which is which is where I was, where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were just uh, two, three years ago, we're voted Reader's Digest's nicest city in America. Oh, wow. Uh, big deal for a town of 4,000 people. Um, the, the nicest little town in America. And, and I think that plays a big role. You know, I, I, I grew up in, in all seriousness, grew up around people that were just very kind and giving. And, and that's just the way I grew up every, you know, you always hear the expression that, uh, they'd give you the shirt shirt off their back. That's, that's like 90% of the town of Buchanan, uh, is that person. Wow. Yeah. I would say the best way I could describe you, Bob, is like, you're a very nice and kind hearted guy who I know has a notch of party just yeah, sitting yeah. right, right, right on the back, ready to go at any point. If I'm just like, are we doing shots? You're like, let's do that, please. Of course we're doing shots. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but you also know. you're also a guy that's like, how's your dog? And then remembers the dog's name. You know, you mm-hmm. give, I don't know how to put that into a word, but that's very you like a guy that's like, will ask you a thoughtful question. And I appreciate that about you. You're a good dude, man. Well, I appreciate you noticing that about me. It seems like you've got the same uh, personality traits because you notice these great things about me. Which I try is, to. Feel free to share as many as you can. Well, yeah, I try to. I'm not just a person who like gaslights people into taking my advice. That's that's just you've only seen that one that <laughs> right. one element of it, and you've seen mm-hmm. other elements of it as well yeah. with yeah. the sweater and the mustache. I'm 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 a, I'm a real amalgamation of a lot of things, Bob. And um, we'll we're gonna learn some things about each other today. I'm um, excited about it. Yeah, for sure. What would you say that young Bob would say? he wanted to be when he grew up if you remember like the specific well, oh, thing I that do you remember I, I went through I mean it depends on how young I mean I was um certain I was going to be a marine biologist uh for many years of my of my childhood uh by the time I got into high school um decided I'd all I would like to make some money when uh-huh. I grew up and, sure. and and abandon my I stopped drawing sharks and whales mm-hmm. uh, on notebook paper and decided I was no longer going to be a marine biologist uh, actually went to college with the intention of uh, being uh, in a career military. Um, so oh, wow. I had a yeah, I had a um, a scholarship from the United States Air Force, an ROTC scholarship to go to the University of Colorado, and that was my intention uh, was to you know graduate, get commissioned, spend twenty years in the military. Um, had a little a little whoopsie daisy mix up with my paperwork that uh, came out at the beginning of my sophomore, and it was literally. This is boring for a lot of people, but the um, but most people don't know the story. So, the Air Force, if you if you or any of the branches, if you do an ROTC scholarship, when you apply, you put in here's my top three schools, here's my top three majors I want to do. Okay, uh, my top school is University of Colorado Boulder. They gave me that, and then for my majors, I wanted to be an architect by that point. Money. Um, so I put in uh, architecture, and number two is architectural engineering. And then I didn't know how college or the world worked, so and I needed a third one. And I was like, I don't know what's a third one. And I, I, again, I don't know how anything works. All I know is I was really good at math. I scored like a perfect score on the ACT in math. Okay. So I was like, confident. I, so I'm like, mathematics. <laughs> Stephen Hawk. I want to be Stephen Hawking. Yeah. I don't know what I thought I was going to do with mathematics, nor did I think um, that they would get down to my third choice. Well, they did. So they sent me to Colorado to be a math major. I spent a year as a math major, was really excelling with it, and, and was just really falling in love with the with the military life too while I was yeah. there. And then uh, they called their they did some kind of an audit, and I got called in by my captain. Was like, oh, see, we kind of, and it was actually my colonel that did this to me because I'd already been accepted to the School of Architecture, yeah, at CU when I got the scholarship. So I called the colonel and uh, full bird colonel. Which um, just so you guys know, if there's any young people listening to this, uh, this is not how you speak to a young uh, to a full bird colonel. Uh, but I called him up and I'm like, hey, man, uh, <laughs> what's up, brother? Yeah, <laughs> what's up, dude? I am. Um, uh, I got this scholarship. And he's like, yeah, but I see it right here. It's on my desk. I'm like, sure. But I'm in the College of Architecture and it says I'm supposed to be a mathematics major. And he's like, cool, I'll take care of it for you. 
and he did, and I did it for a whole year, and it sucked because you don't, I mean, you don't want to be a math major, and that's why they put me in it because there's quotas, and they're like, this fucking idiot wants yeah. to be a math major. <laughs> Let's yeah. have one of those under our belt. Yeah, yeah. we'll do that. <laughs> uh, long story short, is there's uh, two things. There, there's a math major in the College of Arts and Sciences, which is what I what I was in. Uh-huh. And then there's an applied math major in the College of Engineering. Uh, when they did the audit, they said, uh, you're supposed to be in a technical major. We don't give scholarships for non-technical majors. You're supposed to be in applied math instead of math. Yeah. And, and it was this whole thing. And they were just like, well, you can, you got some options. Like, like we paid for a year of your school. You can walk away and be done. Uh, or you can go on your own dime and take the classes you need now to transfer into engineering. Mm. And then we'll pay for the last three years of your new four-year major. Uh, and, and those were pretty much the options. And I was 19, 20 years old and was like, I think I'll just be done with school. Yeah, done t- with school. take the mulligan on that one and just just move on. Yep. Yeah, because I mean, like in it, in it, I mean, I feel like the uh, getting a degree in math, I feel like if you don't solve the light, the space time continuum problem, like what, what do you what do you do with it? You know, like, what do you- dude, I. <laughs> I was training to to be a pararescue man is what I wanted to do in the Air Force. Yeah. Like special forces pararescue. And and so I don't know why I like and again as a 19-year-old 18-year-old kid, it didn't I didn't even think it through. Yeah. It was just like, oh, they want me to get this math degree yeah, so I, I can jump it. out of airplanes. So that <laughs> makes sense to me. Uh, but really what probably would have happened is I'd have went through all that training even if I was in applied math and then I would have sat in an office somewhere as like a an engineer. In the Air Force is probably what would have ended up happening. I would have had a desk job. Okay. And so when you left and took the mulligan on school, what, how did things change? What, what career path did you go into? So I had all through high school, I worked for a construction company doing drywall and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, that's where you got the forearms from. Yes. That's right. A swing and a hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I actually contacted my, I was still in contact often with my, my old boss. This is pre Facebook and all that. It was like literally like every once in a while a phone call if you remember oh, those. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, dude, come back. And um and he was he had two businesses. He was an architect and then his dad had died and he had inherited his dad's drywall company. So he was always running these two businesses. I was like his apprentice as an architect and then also did drywall. Yeah. And he's he's like, I want to bring you back and put you in charge of operations. You run the drywall side and I'll run the architecture side. So I did that for a little while. Ended up leaving there after a bit, ran my own construction business, uh, did that for a couple of years, and um just always kind of felt like I wasn't I always wanted to that midwest right? like I, I wanted to help people and do things, you know, and I was I just felt like I wasn't. Yeah. Uh so then uh it was it was, a, it was like some Friday, finished a job. Went to the grocery store to grab a six pack and a steak to come back to the house. So Midwest, and yeah, dude. It was it was. And, That's and American as fuck. What you just said. It sure was. Got me a six pack and a and a T bone to go. <laughs> it was going to be a great Friday night. Uh, across the street, there was a huge fire, and I was like looking at all these guys that were like, and it was like ninety five degrees in the summertime. And these dudes are like coming out wearing all their bunker gear and sweating to death and chugging water, and you can tell they're just dying. Yeah. And I just felt like something in me was just like I felt like a piece of shit. I was like, I am a got some bush light in your hand and a pack of steak. How'd you know it was bush light? You just you, you give me a you give me bush guy. You give me, you, 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 it's the forums. That's my it's the forums. That, cheap beer and expensive whiskey. That's my <laughs> that's my motto. Uh, and bush light is my beer. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just like, man, I'm an able bodied 21 year old at that time guy. Like. I should be, so literally the next day I went to the fire, our local fire station and was like, do you guys do volunteers or anything or what do you, and they're like, yeah, we could always use, there were a combination department. So half the staff is full time and half were volunteers. Yeah. Uh, and that's when I went back to school. So I, I, I decided like when I do something, I do it. So I was like, yeah. I'll be a volunteer firefighter. Went from there to our community college and enrolled in an EMT class and a fire science program because there, there actually is a college degree for firefighters, believe it or not. I didn't know that. Um, it's yeah, it's four years of how to squirt water on fire. It's a, <laughs> kind of a weird thing, but you know, you get a piece of paper at the end that says you can do it. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I, I did that. I was a volunteer for like a year, loved it. Decided that's what I wanted to make my career in. So then I I uh, started working towards that. And with another year, I was a full time firefighter, which I did for the next sixteen years. Wow. That's so crazy. I mean, what you could have, a street you could have walked down, you could have ended up a stripper. I mean, something could have, you could have seen somebody else coming out of a building doing something. Who it knows? It should be noted that I, I did, I was also a stripper on, that was my, I moonlit. 
Well, I mean, yeah. Once you get the outfit, once you get the sorry, not an outfit. Once you get the uniform, yeah, you can use it as an outfit. outfit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's yeah. both. It's multifaceted, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so once you get the uniform, you can use it as an outfit on the weekends. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And uh, but you know, obviously, I wasn't the shirt. Well, obviously, it's not really obvious. No, but, yeah. Well, hey, man, don't uh, don't sell yourself short like that, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> don't disrespect my friend Bob like that. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but yeah, it was. It was. There were so many different. Like when I look back, like different paths that. Not just paths that I could have went down, but like paths like I was actively going down and got derailed. Like when, yeah. I, when I lost that scholarship, I w- it was like devastating. Like my entire that was your plan. Yeah, ev- everything I identified with was I'm going to be in the Air Force. That's my career. I've got. I'm going to put 20 years, and at 40 years old, I'll be able to come out and have a pension and do blah blah whatever. Yeah, and uh, so it was devastating that that didn't work out for me. Um, but then it just led me here. And then I was fireman for 16 years and that's all I wanted to do. Worked all the way up to being the fire chief. The last three years of my career as the chief. Uh, and then I quit that job and became a podcaster. Which, yes. So, so no one and I can promise you there was not one single person in 1997 when I graduated high school that said that guy's going to be a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, I would put everything I own in the 100% bank right odds. now. Yeah. 100%, yeah. 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 No one thought I was going to be a podcaster in 1997. <laughs> yeah, real good odds on that one. I'll take that action. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so, uh, Bob, you've credited Serial, the podcast, centered around the murder of Heyman Lee and the conviction of Adnan Saeed for inspiring you to dip your toes into the true crime space, mm-hmm. eventually leading you to starting the podcast Truth and Justice. Bob, do you believe that the serial Captain Crunch was part of a conspiracy orchestrated by Big Dental to cause generational orthodontic trauma in children and line their pockets with blood money? The blood from the roof of your mouth? Your yeah, yeah, yeah. Square cereal. Crunch? just it's, it's A thick square cereal is not a good idea. Uh, I think it goes deeper than that. I think Big Egg's involved, too. It, it, yeah, they may, you know, it, it, you, you've, got, you've got the whole faction uh, mm-hmm. with, with, the, with the cereals and the Captain Crunch, but let's not forget that uh, for some reason we still go every day, we go to the grocery store and go to the dairy section to get eggs, and that doesn't make sense to anyone. Come on now. Bob? We'll move on. That was we're getting we're we're scratching at the truth truth door right now, and I don't want to yeah. open that one. Yeah, up. We're getting it's, into Alex Jones territory. Yeah, it's really getting too, it's getting too real. Mm-hmm. They're making the frogs gay. <laughs> um. So uh. So uh. Bob. Uh, uh. Speaking of you know your uh four four foray into podcasting and your journey into podcasting. So you you start listening to podcasts. You get inspired by the work that these people are doing to expose you know these wrongs in the world, and then you you know. Decide to what? Go to a guitar center, get some microphone. What? What? How did you like? Much like when you saw the firefighters coming out. What? What was the next step after hearing a podcast that gravitated you to the space? And what would? You, what did Bob do next? So this is where you find out I, I, if people haven't already figured out my real person. People think because of Truth and Justice that I'm this like super serious, huge true crime buff. And you've hung out with me enough to know that neither of those two things are true. Um, wasn't really into true crime. So I'm much more into comedy. Sure. And when I discovered podcasts, which, you know, I was, you know, I was an early adopter. I figured out what a podcast was in 2014, you know, like most of the world. Um, yeah. And I was listening to nothing. True. I was listening to a lot of comedy podcasts. One yeah. of my, still to this day, I'm still like a subscriber to their like platinum feed. Yeah. Uh, the Jimmy Pardo Never not funny podcast is my is, is like that's my that's my go to never miss an episode twice a week and he's just he's a comedian has other comedians actors whoever in and a couple other it's just four people sitting around shooting the shit uh, and that's that's my jam um, so I listen to to Jimmy's uh, Jimmy Pardo's podcasts uh, a lot and they started talking about serial. And and Jimmy has this uh, he's kind of this shtick where he has like this fake rage all the time, like he pretends to be mad about stuff. And so they would go off about how because they were one of the very early podcasts, like back in 2007, 2008, way back. Yeah. Uh, And then Serial came out and everybody was like acting like it was the first podcast ever made. Uh, And and so they kept. So what really well it was, was Jimmy Pardo and Matt Belknap, his co-host, complaining about. People like cereal. <laughs> so one day, I'm at the gym, and my the, my podcast was over. And back then, you, you remember back then there wasn't a billion podcasts that you know. It's like, it's like I did I it. I did. I did podcast time. Yeah, yeah. yeah podcast a- <laughs> time is over. Uh, and then I was like, well, what the hell is this cereal podcast? These guys were talking about. I had no idea. Didn't know it was true crime. Didn't know a thing about it. 
And so I start looking up serial podcasts, CEA, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, uh, <laughs> did you get any interest in fines or it was too early on? There was no podcast dedicated to serial yet. I don't remember what they were, but I remember finding like podcasts with like the word serial in them, like, yeah. like breakfast cereal. And like, I'm like, this can't be it. Like, what this can't this? be what they're mad about. How's this the most popular podcast in the country right now? Yeah. And then I finally figured out like how it was spelled and, and I'm like, okay, so I listened to it. Like I'm on a treadmill and I listened to episode one of serial and I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and I was just like captivated, which, you know, so many people. And I, and I think a lot of what made Serial so amazing back then was, you know, there was no such thing like that at the time. So it, it was not only was it a, comp- a super compelling story, uh, but it was just like we we people don't remember. We had never heard anything like that before. No. It was called Serial because it was a serialized long form uh, story that you know no, nobody was doing that on podcasts, and and just like everyone else, I was hooked on hooked on it, listened to it, and then but I have this like inquisitive mind, and I was like, okay, but what about these seven things? And so I talked to everyone I knew about well what and like oh you listen to Siri yeah what do you think about Jay doing this and they're like dude I don't know I listened to it and I've moved on with my life I'm like I'm not gonna do that until I solve this thing. Yeah. I have a board. Um, I'm, I have it all on my wall. I have red string from each thing. <laughs> Just yeah. Like. So meanwhile, in the middle of all that, uh, going back to the Never Not Funny podcast and all that. So if you've ever been to a fire station in the mornings, you know, there's there's like a routine at mo- most firehouses. Like you get up, you know, because we work 24 hour shifts. You do shift mm-hmm. change at seven or eight in the morning. So you go in in the morning. The crew goes out and you check all the trucks and you start every truck. Check all the air bottles. Make sure everything's full of water. Like make sure everything's ready to go. Uh, you know, you adjust your seat. So if there's a fire, you're ready to go. Then usually we come back and it's breakfast time and we sit down and we sit around the, the table, drinking coffee, eating breakfast, whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's a certain type of personality that are drawn, uh, into the fire service and, uh, it makes for some very interesting and funny conversations. So we would sure. say, I mean, so for, you know, by that point I'd been a firefighter for 10 years, um, 13 years, something like that. And it was like every single day, these hilarious conversations around the fire, uh, around the coffee table. And then I just had this, I was like, you know, what if we, what if we did a podcast, like never not funny, like we should just record this. Yeah. And, and so, uh, my mother-in-law gave me for Christmas that year, uh, she gave me $200, um, because I'm a grown man. And uh, yeah, it's like buy, buy what you want to buy. Yeah. My, the yeah, best my Christmas gift. Yeah. yeah. My wife's family's a little, like my family is, is very much like, here's a, here's a little trinket. We got you. Yes. Her family Cold, is very, hard cash. Yeah. She's like, like, like their family is like, well, we have a budget of $200 per person. We don't know what to get you. So here's $200. It was yeah. a very weird thing for me to get $200, uh, from my mother-in-law. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, what am I going to do with this? And then I like, literally I got on Amazon, and there was like a podcaster kit for $200 yeah. on Amazon. So that's it. I bought that and started uh, the off-duty podcast that was just firefighters. And, and man, we had a blast. Uh, had to take it off the air because uh, a number of reasons. Um, there was, you know, we were super inappropriate sure. uh, about some things. Um, also, the main reason is it was, I don't know, 85% rip off of the Jimmy Pardo podcast. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, where I would, you, you ever like, you, you need know, a you, format, Bob. You need a format, you know? Oh, no, not format. <laughs> I'm talking like, like catchphrases, everything. Like oh, I, yeah. would, I would speak, and I do this a lot, like with movies and stuff, but I would always speak in references. Like if somebody said something, then I would, you know, blurt out whatever, you know, yeah. Jimmy Pardo, might, except for nobody knew who Jimmy Pardo was because, you know, <laughs> except me. Yeah. And, and I and to my to my defense, I would say like uh, you know everybody would laugh whatever and be like that's uh, totally yeah, so hey, from Jimmy Pardo and, and they're and they're like ha 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 whoever that is you're hilarious Bob dude I am just <laughs> sitting over here like stuff that people had sent me uh, from when we did the days when we did that podcast uh, like with like catchphrases like I used to tell people like every time a guest would come in and be like come on in here uh, give me a nice little charge meet your hero uh, <laughs> that was like a little but that's like that's a Jimmy Pardo line he says yeah. That all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was just, com- and then all of a sudden, like people started listening, and there was like a few thousand people listening. I'm like, this is bad. Yeah, but- <laughs> and I'm in too deep now. Like people think this is me, and it's not. If this, if I get any bigger, and Jimmy finds out that I have yeah. ripped off his podcast, my it's my hero podcast wars. Yeah. So, long story short, I had all this equipment from this comedy podcast I was doing, and then and then that's when I was like, one day my kid was homesick, and I was just bored, 
and I and I had this idea. I'm like, I already know how to make a podcast because I learned from a 12 year old on YouTube. It's pretty yeah. easy. Uh, so and I have this equipment. So I'm gonna do like a book club. I'm gonna like take an element of serial and undisclosed podcast was going mm-hmm. on at the time too. Um, and they had started back up again and got me fired up about it again. And I was like, okay, this week an undisclosed. They were talking about this element of the case. This is what I think about that. Yeah. You guys email me and tell me what you think about it. And next week I'll read your emails and we'll talk about it. So that, yeah. that's how it started. And then, you know, six months later, there was like 300,000 people listening and it turned into kind of a thing. Flooded with emails. Yeah. Ideas yeah, and nuts. theories. And yeah, I mean, it, it really is like, but what's cool about that journey is a lot of people in today's world of podcasting, you hear about a genre of podcasting, much like what you're saying about Jimmy Pardo. You know, you know, you listen to one of the big podcasts that you like and you just decide, I want to do this type of podcasting. And so I'm going to get the microphones and the equipment and everything mm-hmm. and just try to do what they did. But what you did was you did it out of the love. You know, it, it was like mm-hmm. you're, you're in this, you're in this, you're in the firehouse, you're shooting the shit and you're like, well, let me try to podcast as opposed to there was no idea of like no concept of money at this point in in podcasts you're talking about, you know, so it was really strictly a hobby. And I think that I always try to tell people when, when they're asking like, you know, how do you start a podcast? Should I start a podcast? This, that, and third ago, if you want to start a podcast, you should start a podcast. But if you are trying to diversify your streams of revenue or any of that's part of your mind, you're going to quit. Like you're just not going to keep up with it because you're not going to get the results you're looking for. So I like that you did it out of like, the love of it and then found your own alley, your own lane eventually. Yeah. And that dude, and what you said is the same advice I get. Cause of course I'm sure you're the same thing. Like people that I know that are like, I'm thinking about starting a podcast and they want to come over to the studio and check it. And they want some advice about it. And I said, I'm like, listen, you have to do this because this is something you want to do. Because I mean, the percentage of podcasts that ever make a penny is very, very small. I'm not saying it can't happen. It happened, you know, lightning sure. struck with me, you know, it can, it can, it, it can happen. It can turn into a career for sure. But if that's your goal, like you are jumping into a, like, and, and it's the same thing. Like they go out, they do five, six, seven, eight episodes. And it's like, Oh, well, I'm not making any money. And they get bored. You know, th- then all of a sudden it's every other week. And then it's <laughs> once a month and then it's gone. Yes. And, and truthfully, like I've had to, because now that I run a business, you know, I, I've had to, you know, I've started projects and dropped them because they just they because for me I'm paying you know a bunch of employees to put all this shit together. For sure, and we just yeah you know, we just recently parked uh, for the time being True Crime binge just because you know and I lo- I love doing that one but it's like it's taking up time and resources and you know with the economy right now like ad revenue was going down to the point where it's like we're in the red and then we're going to be in the red in the for the foreseeable future so I had to pull the plug on it and we've been doing this for I've been doing this full time for eight years for sure. It's it, but it's it's such a like, it's such a like flexible space that it can it can go back to even if you are seeing you know financial success from it, it can go back to feeling like a hobby so quickly in yeah. a dip in any of the things that are your revenue streams. It can go back to like oh okay well we got to tighten some belts or things like that because some there's been a shift of some kind yeah. you know so yeah when something starts to feel like a hobby again and you got a business to run it's like. Well, I don't have time to dedicate three, four hours to this hobby part right. anymore. It's not, and that's the I tricky keep the business part. alive. Yeah. You know, cause I, I, so like if I was, if I was starting out and I was just like, I, like I would do true crime bent. I loved doing it. It was, it was yeah. fun, you mm-hmm. know? And, and so like, if I was a hobbyist doing it, I would do it. And, and, and it, I, eventually I think that it, that it, well, it was doing well, the, the numbers were great. It's just the, yeah. the ads were down. Um, but yeah, once you're, when you get into the point where you're running a business, all of a sudden now you've got to take. That was a tough choice for me because that was like kind of my because truth and justice is so it requires so much attention it requires so much emotional bandwidth to yeah be, which we'll get it, which we'll get to I want to get to that with yeah you too. so it was like that was my like once a week kick back shoot the shit just like exactly like what we're doing right now you know it's, yes it's fun it was but for me in order to still be able to do truth and justice I had to pay somebody else to edit it and put the music in and do all this other stuff and it just you know eventually it's just not sustainable. Yeah, that's that's tough, you know, which I, I you know, I want to put a pin in that because I want to get to, you know, the the weight of what you do on truth and justice, how you unwind or let it go. But we'll put a pin in that because of what I want to ask you was if you remember your first like, oh, this is becoming a thing moment, you know, mm-hmm. with truth, with truth and justice or any iteration beforehand where you go, oh, I'm a podcaster like this is my I'm not just telling my cousins to listen to this and they're sharing links because right. I'm asking them to like a real was there is there one like specific moment that you remember? 
There was, I mean, pretty good. The show picked up pretty quickly, but again, it was because the space then was so much, you know, there were people were, were, were searching and dying for true crime podcasts. Yes. Particularly about serial at that time in 2015 when I started. Um, but so like there, there was a lot of people like Robbie Ashaudry was listening and had, you know, had retweeted a couple things. So like I had, you know, five, six, seven, ten thousand people listening within a month or two. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which was crazy. So I, I remember like so I remember that. I remember all of a sudden where it was like, I have to like I have to get this episode out because yeah, there's, there's 10,000 people waiting. Yeah. To listen. And then when I released the episode, then I was like living on Twitter and trying to respond to everything. And, and so like that was, but I was still doing my full-time job, but I would, that was, it was becoming like consuming, but, but, but the big turn was, uh, you know, later that summer, I think it was episode 19 or 20 of season one, um, where I had like launched into like a full investigation about, uh, for those that know the serial case about Don and his alibi and his mother and, and these yeah. things beyond what was done on serial beyond what was done on undisclosed like i started like researching and doing some kind of you know for a non-journalist journalistic work and figuring out investigative work figuring and i and i put out this episode and it just blew everybody's mind yeah and and rabia then was you know talked about it on the undisclosed podcast which was massive and was like you guys need to go listen to this because he just figured this thing out yeah uh, and, and, and they did. And all of a sudden it was like overnight it was, you know, there's 10,000 people listening, which was crazy for somebody from a town of 4,000. That's like yeah. everybody in my town plus one yeah, are and, listening to this. and some kids are listening. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and all of a sudden like a turn and like 150,000 people or something crazy like that, like we're downloading it. And then like the social medias were going crazy like i got a blue check on twitter back before you had to pay for it yeah yeah when it meant something <laughs> yeah yeah like i literally i still remember like i got like i don't they probably sent me an email that i never saw but i like logged in and people were tweeting at me a little you know sweet blue check whatever I'm like what <laughs> and like i had a blue check and that you know um so all that was happening and then uh, and then advertise you know the like mid-roll advertising agency yeah. and stuff were like you know because because I, I at one point i was within a couple weeks of that I was ranked above serial in the overall podcast charts. Wow, that's a full circle moment. Yeah, that's crazy. And then yeah. I got, I really knew I made it when the people from serial sent me a cease and desist notice, notice about my logo because those podcasts back then, I called it the serial dynasty. Uh, and they literally, and mine didn't look like theirs, but it was, yeah. you know, it was just attached though. It was, but it was <laughs> like the best thing ever for me because it was like such a, like it said, People are downloading your podcast thinking it's our podcast. So you need to change the coloring of your logo and the yeah. name. Because it was like, it was, and it was like within three days of me flipping them in the charts, or like, well, it must be because uh, yeah, like, uh, they, 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 they think, think it's us. He, they think <laughs> he's me. So uh, it couldn't be that. Uh, uh, but yeah, then it was like, it, dude, this was quick. May 1st, 2015, I put out the first episode. And by September of two or, or uh, not even that, like August of 2015, like I was like I had advertisers and like it was like this whole other thing happened, you know, that I yeah. never, never expected. And at such an early age in the space too, like I mean, super early. These yeah. concepts are probably pretty crazy. Like, wait, you want to you want to pay me to play a, a commercial while I'm doing this thing I do in my house? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what was the idea of ads and podcasts wasn't that weird to me because by then I listened to several and you know it was a thing people were doing you know everybody had Casper mattress and stamps dot com yeah. and all you know they were, everybody was doing that yeah um, but more so the, the like people list it's it's like when I talked to my kids about you know that the if you wanted to use the phone before you used to have to go <laughs> into your house like it was like. You couldn't the, leave I, a room. Whatever room you put it in was the room where you had your phone call. Right. Yeah. That's where that's where it happened. <laughs> uh, and it's like now for people that are like in the podcasting space, like, like as as consumers now. Yeah. I want to listen to you know they can go onto whatever forum they're on and be like, I'm looking for a really good true crime story that's like long form where they break a case down over yeah. the course of a season. They're like, here's 327 of them that are are my favorites and. But people don't realize when Sarah Koenig did it, it was the first. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, uh, and then undisclosed. And then when I started doing, now there are other podcasts. It's not like there wasn't other long form podcasts. Right. 
but the methodology that I was using was one of a kind when, and that's why it was so popular at the beginning, which was, we're going to break down elements of this case, not for entertainment. We're going to try to figure this out. And then I'm going to ask the audience to help help and participate in trying to figure this thing out. This like big crowdsourced investigative podcast. Like it had never been done like that before. Undisclosed did a version of that, but it was much more on the legal side. Um, which also was innovative. Like no one had ever done that before either. For sure. So and so, it's weird to think now for somebody that's maybe you know in the last five years gotten in or four years gotten into uh, true crime podcast that back then like this doesn't exist. Yeah, but, that form that format isn't even a thing. It, it, but today you're just like, yeah, I'm going to start a serial or a truth and justice style podcast. Like you know, it just is like part of yeah. the zeitgeist of podcasting. Yeah. So what I've done now is all those ones that are. Um, uh, you know, I, I sent to Madeline Barron and some of these, you know, I, I send them cease and desist notice and say, that, you know, the reason that I think that you're rising so high in these ranks is because people think that they're downloading my show when they download your long form, better produced yeah. podcast that is getting far more downloads than I ever got. You got to pass the torch. You got to pass the torch. You know, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need you to cease and desist because that's clearly because of me. Yeah. <laughs> So Bob, that was like the 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 one of the cool aspects of of your show and hearing about it from the early days is and and what you were able to do and what you're able to do today is like what do you think the couch detective has done to the landscape of like you know detective work policing case solving I mean do you do you think it's a good thing do you think it's a bad thing do you think that there is a care that should be taken when you're a person that's you know getting discovery on your own, you know, uh, sending emails out, requesting case files, and then just doing it at your house. Like, do you, do you think that this is an overall good despite people that don't have the experience you have trying to do it as well? Without question, it's an overall good. I mean, we're seeing case. I mean, look at um, the Kristen Smart case, Chris Lambert, uh, your own backyard podcast, you know, yeah. the, again, a, a case that was dead, gone, you know, no one was, was looking into it for your, and he, breathe new life into that case. And they, you know, now they're, I don't I think the trial's over. I think he was, I think Flores was convicted. I'm not positive. about I, I, that. But, yeah. I, I um, believe so. I'll take your word for it. Right. For yeah. Right you know, with Curtis flowers with Madeline Barron, who I mentioned earlier, and obviously all the cases with undisclosed that have, I mean, like, like things are getting done that needed to be done that would never get done inside the system. Were it not for outsiders coming into the space uh, into what I think is is a broken system and and forcing the issue, th- these wrongs would never get righted. And more importantly, I think than that is I think it's changing the future of the space. I think that I, I know like there are DAs in training and police officers in training that are literally being told like, dude, you better watch. And they may say it is a bad thing. You better watch your ass because some podcast, whatever you do, is yeah. going to get broadcast on YouTube or is going to get broadcast on a podcast. Which good, good. Feel the pressure to do your job right. Yeah, do your Mm -hmm. fucking job and do it right. And and I just think that the power, the whole concept behind truth and justice was, I believe that the ordinary people are what's going to change the criminal justice system. What's what's going to fix it is is if you take because the concept behind truth and justice is very simple. We do these cases. Everybody listening has some something to contribute if they want to. That could be, you know, and you never know when you're digging into a case. Like we've had cases where, like, we need somebody who understands how Maytag appliances work, and and then here's five guys like, hey, I've been waiting my turn. I'm a Maytag appliance repairman, you know. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there's there's always or whatever it is. There's there's all these skill sets, and we just have have cultivated this audience of people who listen every week, waiting for their chance to contribute. And so, sometimes that means writing letters to the guys that are in prison, the wrongfully convicted guys in prison to keep their spirits up, which goes so much further than you ever might think. You know, I hear all the time from the guys that we work with that are like, man, mail call is a sad, sad, lonely time when you're in prison for life, particularly for something you didn't do. And all of a sudden we're now everyday mail, you know, at mail time, I've got five letters from strangers who just want to, and, and I have pen pals and I, I keep it like, and then sometimes it's like, Hey, we need money for DNA testing. And there's people that are like, you know, I don't have time to write letters or contribute much, but what I do have is money. So here, let me donate money for, you know, there's just, there's so many things. And we're seeing that it is being accepted by, uh, by attorneys, by yeah. a lot of innocence organizations have, you know, I, I've worked cases that were connected to Kathleen Zellner, the Innocence Project of Texas, the Exoneration Project in Chicago. 
it's always been that attorneys have been like, you don't talk to media. Attorneys don't talk to media. Their clients don't talk to media. And now we're seeing this shift where they're like, there is a value in having yeah. other people help us, getting another yeah. set of eyes on these cases. Every attorney out there has a caseload. You know, whether they're a private attorney or a public defender, or whatever, they have a caseload and they can only dedicate so much time to each file. For us, you know, I talk about an element of the case and then I'll put the entire file, the entire transcript, whatever it is we're talking about that week up on the website. And dude, it's a great uh, fact check for me. I mean, I can't get away with shit. Yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah, if I say did. one Actually, w- Bob. Yeah, <laughs> if I say one word wrong, I'll get 5,000 emails that are like, uh, actually, if you look at page 47 of the transcript, he did say that. Which is, you know, good. annoying. But it's yeah, also but, but good. good. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, like the truth is getting out there. And, th- and these are details that even the best attorneys in the world just don't have time to to do. So I think I think it's incredibly valuable for everybody in this space. I, we- I welcome all of the uh, – and there's so many out there that are so much better at doing what I do. Uh, and I welcome all of it because it's just keeping people involved and it's keeping people in the system accountable. As diving into these cases and seeing some of the corruption or incompetence, you know, sometimes it's sometimes it's not as insidious as, as you know, a, a choice. But has uh, seeing those things and ex- experiencing those things when you're doing your research, has it caused you to be left a little jaded? Less. Yes, but it's less about that. Um, at first, I was very, you know, that stuff was shocking to me. Because the, yeah. the, the, the the bottom line is most people don't think don't realize this happens. We who live in this true crime space and the true crime community and go to Crime Con and go to Obsessed Fest and things like that and around a bunch of like minded folks, uh, we all are like, yeah, you know, you, like like the fact that we all know what the word Brady violation means is insane, <laughs> you know. Thanks, Susan Simpson. Yeah. Uh, but but if you got out into the general population, like people don't know. Yeah. I talked to one of the first questions I had, I'm working a case right now for season twelve on Truth and Justice out of like the Palm Springs area, the Coachella Valley area of California. And uh, when I interviewed all the family members, the first thing I asked all of them is like, what were your thoughts on law enforcement prior to this happening to your loved one? And it was the same with everyone. They're like, I I never knew this happened. Like I would never ever believe that anyone gets sent to prison for something that they didn't do. That doesn't make Mm. sense. That's not how the system works. Like and how do you think and how do you feel about it now and they're and it's just like like I trust no one now so th- yeah. there there is that I went through that phase of a non Sayed case this has to be some kind of crazy anomaly this can't yeah. happen all the time and then you look at case after case after case and then you realize what an assembly line of plea deals our system really is yeah. uh, and you most realize ca- that, most cases don't even go to trial they just put a deal in front of you and you take it and you know you, yeah you just don't want to do you don't want to do 80 years you'll do 10 yeah you know? and, and, and then the next thing to realize is oh people plead guilty to things that they didn't do yeah every single day every single day when they're like we've got this evidence we can twist it and make you look guilty you're facing life in prison or you can plead guilty and take five. And there will be an attorney who works inside that system telling even with – and with your best interest in mind, that Just attorney will be telling you – It doesn't you, look good for you. Yeah. Or he'll be telling you, like, dude, there's a good chance we lose. Like, so I think you should take the deal. Every, yeah. and, and then he'll go tell your family, tell him to take the deal. He's going to go to prison. You know, so that stuff – I, I wouldn't say jaded. It was it was it was in it was enlightening to see. It's frustrating and it's what's giving me the drive to do what I do. I get jaded by the people on social media that spend so much time, so much time and effort on things and people they don't like. Uh, that's yeah. the, you know that's what just gets exhausting to me. And and I'm and I'm one of those like just like after years of like I just don't read the comments. I did, you know. But it, you know, we'll do, we do a lot of live streams and stuff, and it's like you see stuff in the chat, and like, why are you spent? Why are you? You're know, being mad and being like a, a mean yeah. person. Yeah. How could you commit this much energy into being awful to to people? So that 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 jades me more because it's just like an outlook on humanity. Like, why are you? But but I will tell you that our audience, dude, it like I couldn't keep doing what I do if it weren't for these like incredible. Uh, uh, gestures of love and kindness from the people that are, are, are the the truly good people that are listening to us because there are definitely times where I'm like you know what fuck this I'm gonna I'm gonna be a quail farmer and, f- and turn <laughs> off the internet and never do this again I'm sick of these assholes uh, yeah. and, and then 
you know, something something will come up. Like, you know, we had one of our season two, uh, Kenny Snow, uh, finally got out of, got out of prison. Uh, and, and I'm like, hey, Kenny's going home. He doesn't have anything, you know. I'm gonna put up a GoFundMe if we could raise a little money for his wife to help transition him home. And my audience yeah. is like, "Cool, how about we give him twenty thousand dollars in two days?" You wow. know, and, and, and yeah. that's what like to me is like, okay, I you know, fuck all of you guys over yeah, here yeah. because these are the real people that are here yeah. to for the right reasons, and we're um, doing good work. We're yeah. doing good work. Yeah, yeah. That's that's fucking beautiful, man. Is there a, is there anything like in all the cases you've looked into? Do you can you think offhand of like one of the more egregious? Call them a blunder. We don't you know I don't want to say you know uh, you know underhanded choice or a, you know tossing out of something something that was just so when you went to look into it it was like how is this how did this person get convicted? Is there any any ones that come to mind? A lot of the cases. I mean, the case I'm working right now. Well, the, I shouldn't say it. The one I'm working right now. It took a long time to find all that stuff. It was one of those, like the way the prosecution said it, it seems like they're, and then you realize later, like, Oh wait, that's not true. That's not true. That, But I would say our season six case, the, the Sandy Milgar case to this day is the most egregious wrongful conviction I've ever seen in my life. Um, I, I actually, um, AB 2020 did a, did an hour on it with me, like about my investigation of that case a few years ago. Um, but the, you know, real briefly, it's, You've got this this couple. The Sandy Melgar is in her fifties. She has lupus. She walks with a walker. Has a hip replacement. Her husband uh, Jaime takes. You know, he's her caretaker. Like he, he takes, and they have a by all accounts is amazing, loving relationship. And uh, the, the the his brother and family were supposed to come over for lunch one day, and they come over. Nobody's answering the door. Nobody's answering the door. They end up like breaking into the house. And um, are like going through an open garage door, and they go in, and they find uh, Jaime is is stabbed to death. Like mm. like he's naked, and he'd been stabbed lots of times in a closet. And then in another closet is is Sandy Milgar, who I, I off the top of my head I think she was fifty seven years old. Again, hip replacement, lupus, walks with a walker, also has uh, a lot of seizures. Um, the the closet door is closed, and there's a chair propped under the doorknob you know like you do just so that yeah, can't like be open lock somebody in yeah yeah on the outside she's yeah. inside the closet chair propped on the underneath the doorknob outside of it yeah oh the, the brother you know, moves the chair opens the door she's inside with her arms tied behind her back she's got a a cut on her head she had uh-huh. soiled herself she had been you know so Take all that, right? And she had been there for, it turns out, for I think 12 or 14 hours or something like that. Um, very little. She had had seizure when she it, threw it and and doesn't have really much memory of what happened. She's just, she's like, I was in shock, scared. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, what she told, tells police in her interrogation is that I was, you know, we were, it was our anniversary. We, we like had a jacuzzi bath. Uh, uh, Jim got up to to take care of something. He heard something or whatever. Was still naked. You can see right where he set his drink down on his way out. She's like, I went into my walk-in closet, sat on a chair, bent over to put lotion on my legs, and that's all I remember. Wow. So because she she got hit on the head, they convicted her of killing him. Get out of here. Yeah. Figure that one out. So as far as egregious, and and let me say again, uh. 57, lupus, hip replacement, walks with a cane and a walker half the time, arms tied behind her back, soiled herself, inside a closet with a chair pressed underneath the doorknob from the outside of the closet blocking her in. They claim that she she must have used like a pillowcase or something and set the door up or the chair up and then got inside and then used it to scoot the chair to make... <laughs> make it go up under the knob per- perfectly? Yeah. Wow. Dude, she's still in prison. We're still working on it now. Like, like, like the, s- the Innocence Project of Texas is just taking her case, and they're still working on. Um, you know, she was convicted in 2016, 17, I think. Um, yeah, it's awful. It's awful. She's in a medical unit because of all her health issues. It's it's yeah. it's the worst. And that prosecutor, her name is Colleen Barnett from Harris County, can go fuck herself because this was this was in no way. It, there's no possibility they believed that she did this. That, that For sure. She, she was trying to make a name for herself. She had been, I think, fired at one point and then came back and was like, this was her big case she was going to solve. It was a cold case. Um, yeah, awful, awful case. 
most of ours are along those lines, but that's the most obvious. Yeah, I think, yeah, one of the biggest takeaways from uh, our talk today was this idea that, you know, because of the space that we're in and the conversations that we have, you don't think that hearing a story like that, even though it blew my mind, and I've heard so many, I've heard so many awful stories mm-hmm. of just like miscarriages of justice, but somebody could hear that and go, oh, there must be some kind of explanation. This is just a one random crazy thing that happens. It's like, no, this is why, this is why truth and justice is important. This is why the space is important. This is why couch detectives are important is because like you said, this system doesn't change without the people. It's not going to be some knight in shining armor who waves a wand and, and changes some legislation. It needs the people, the, the people need to know that this is the system so that they are aware that it needs to be fixed. It's not one person's going to come in and clean this whole thing up. So those stories are important to hear. And it's important to know that like, no, this isn't some like anomaly. This is more common than, you know? Yeah. It, it, the it, Honestly, if I had to do it over again, um, you know, I rebranded the show in 2015 because obviously I was moving on to more than just the serial case. And I, I went with uh, truth and justice. Uh, and if, if I was to start, then I would never rebrand now. But if I was to do that rebranding now, I would, the title of my show would be the outsiders because I think that that's the, the outsiders, uh, are the ones that are going to change the system. People working from outside and, and, and making the people on the inside accountable. Before we get out of here, I'd like to end things with a podcaster studio questionnaire made famous by Mr. Bernard Pivot. Mm-hmm. Um, um, also, rest in peace to James Lipton. Uh, this is, um, you know, he's, he's one, one of my idols, and uh, I took this from his format of Inside the um, Actor Studio. And so I have a short questionnaire that I would like to ask you before we take off, okay. if you are ready. I'm um, ready for uh, it. Uh, first thing that I will ask you is, what is your favorite word? Nonsense. <laughs> what is your least favorite word? Uh, I, fuck. <laughs> I mean, I say it. Favorite? I say yeah. it a lot, but I, 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 I hate that I overuse it. These are words that I use a lot and ones that I hate that I overuse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is a quality that you love in people? Kindness. What is a quality that you hate in people? Selfishness. What's a sound or noise that you love? Turkey gobbles. <laughs> Got a lot of those up up in up in up in Michigan. Oh, up, opening up, up day of wild turkey season is uh, Saturday, so I've already got that uh, that spring thunder in my head. <laughs> we like wake to up to it. in the middle of the night. Yeah. And just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the sound of noise that you hate? Uh, wet fart. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yes. Yeah, Wait, are these supposed to be serious or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. They're supposed to be. What, they're supposed to be what they are. No one can disagree uh, with that. No one. Yeah, likes the not sound at all. Of a wet no, fart. everybody hates that. That yeah. is a universal hate for yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, where would you say is the suckiest place to get a tattoo? Uh, the tattoo emporium in Nile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on my body. <laughs> Either one. Some, let's go tank those Yelp reviews right now. <laughs> say the name. Go name the tattoo. <laughs> uh, you know, my my brother once uh, uh, said that he wanted to tattoo his penis like a barber pole, and he uh, he whipped out <laughs> at the tattoo shop because I was going to pay Smart. for it because, of course, I wanted him to do it. <laughs> um, and and I have to believe that that'd be the worst place. Oh, no question. I don't even. I don't even. I don't even think there's any argument anywhere that that would have to be the worst one and then the one that you immediately regret it's gonna be one funny bit right yeah and then it's done yeah. then you're like why did i, why did I do this and you have to yeah. go pee every morning and, and you got to that. explain it to every girl you date yeah. for the rest of your life like, like, well see it's um before i, take my I pants really like off, haircuts the thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ever heard of jim beam yeah well okay i drank a lot of it and we were at a barbershop yada 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 pole penis yeah uh, yep. so um what profession, other than the one that you are currently in, would you like to attempt? Comedian. Which you are doing. I'm trying. I meant, yeah. I meant, yeah. How, how's that been going? Like, I, I used to do really stand up. So, like, what, what is the, what is the rush? What is the rush like for you? Uh, I, I just, I love. I've always loved performing uh, in front of live audiences. When I was a firefighter, I traveled the country and taught. Uh, courses and I have a very kind of unique way of doing that. And then, you know, in the true crime space, not so much in the pop, but like, like when I'm at, you know, conferences, crime con, things like that, when yeah. I get to, to present in front of audience, I just really, I, I'm, there's something in me that really just kind of feeds off the energy of other people. And I love being, For sure. you know, on stage with, with a live audience and being able to kind of get that energy. 
Uh, and so kind of as a palate cleanser for me, I started doing stand-up in the last last year. And, and I certainly wouldn't consider myself a comedian, but I'm, I've been doing it. We've been selling out shows here in uh, yeah. our, our local area, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, what profession would you never want to participate in? Oh, I would never want to be a cop. I have a lot of respect for cop for good cops. Tough, but tough. Would never want to do it. Tough. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's thankless. Mm. It is has uh the proclivity to corrupt, and it is well, dangerous. <laughs> so you know, much like but you're no stranger to obviously. But yeah. much like being yeah, a firefighter, gonna... no one ever calls you just to hang out. They always call you on the worst day of their lives. Yeah. <laughs> And they're like, why didn't you go into it fast enough to right. get the my cat out? Yeah, you know, exactly. and so yeah. it's it's never thank you for what I what you did. It's why didn't you do this? But what I will say is when I was a kid, every like once a month, me and my mom would make brownies and we'd go up to our fire station and we'd drop them off, you know, because you just gotta good man. It's the same thing. My 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 my, my co-host friend, he's a he's a he's a postal worker. Sometimes it's just good to hand somebody a bottle of water on a hot day and say, Hey, you know, you're out here doing your job here, you know. That's awesome. Thanks for delivering the mail, thanks for putting out fires, thanks for saving lives. We see you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people it's always, you know, it's always good to just, you know, give people that don't get the thanks. Give them a little thanks every now and then if you can. It would go a long way. And finally, Bob, my last question is, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? Huh. What would I like? I think I would like him to say, uh, come on in. (laughs) (laughs) Bob. Wrong door. <laughs> no, I, truthfully, yeah. I would, I would, I would love to hear him say, uh, I, I would love to hear him say, "You were right." And 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 I say that meaning is, I am. I don't know where your faith is, but I, I am a Christian, and that turns a lot of people off when they think of what that means. But what what I argue with my with with my Christian friends all the time, where I say, you know, I think that my faith is based on on two things: uh, that you're supposed to love everyone mm-hmm. and judge no one. And, yes. and that's what it means. It doesn't mean to me what it means to a lot of people. Uh, and I, and I live my life that way. I try to just, I try to just love on everybody, not judge everybody. Uh, and then, you know, I hear, but yeah, you know, yeah, but what about them gays? You know, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like no, I, I don't think that he cares about that at all. Uh, so <laughs> bare bones. Yeah. I would agree in that regard, Bob, you're absolutely right. Yeah. For sure. So I, I, would, I, would say. I would love her to be like, you were right. I just wanted you to love everybody. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we can all. Yeah, that's that's the um, that's the most we can hope for is that we're doing the right thing, you know. And and I feel like when you when you're doing the right thing, you feel it. You know, you can feel when you're doing right. You can feel when you're doing wrong. And as long as you're living a life that you feel good about, then I think that no, there's no one out there that could judge you negatively for that. You know, I agree with that. Yeah. Bob, uh, thank you so much for your time. If you would like to uh, take this time to plug anything you got coming up, comedy shows, you know, any uh, new season of, of, of Truth and Justice we're working on, anything you got, the floor is yours. Take it away. We are right now, thank you, we are right now um, in the process of wrapping up our season 12 case. It's been a long one. It, uh, crazy triple homicide, two defendants. I mean, it's been over a year we've been working on this case. I think we made some great strides in it. We're about to wrap on this. Season 13 of Truth and Justice is going to be starting soon. I haven't announced what it is yet, but we're doing something very different uh uh for season 13 that we've never done before is kind of a you know people submit cases to me and i have to you know you know find the right case and and i just haven't found the right wrongful conviction case that i'm ready to jump into uh yeah there's another thing that i've been i've been wanting to do to just just to put some help out into the world and for our audience to be able to help that'll be getting announced soon for season 13 um that's coming um other than that no i mean i do have a uh a um comedy show at uh, Decibels Comedy Club in Portage, Indiana on May 26th. I'm a feature act there. Okay. so Yeah, this will uh, be out by then. So uh, this will be out by yeah, then. I yeah, think, I don't know much about it. They just they just asked me to come be a feature, and I think it's like 10 bucks at the door at the Decibels. If you're yeah. near Portage, Indiana, uh, go check that out on May 26th. Bob, once again, thank you so much. Uh, always good talking to you, and uh, I'll see you soon in person. Absolutely. All right, I appreciate you, brother. And tell, give my love to Fran. I will absolutely do that. Yeah. <laughs>